Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Chapter five, we're gonna read verses one through 20. There's a story in there I wanna read to you in just a few minutes, um, but I'm gonna just take a couple minutes before we get there to set a couple things up for this morning. Um, if we, uh, you can wait to go back to the, the verse there. We'll get to the scripture in a minute. Um, but we, we started this series a couple weeks ago. We've been studying through Mark since January and just hitting different themes in Mark. And the theme that we're talking about right now is this idea of spiritual authority, spiritual authority. And uh, we started this a couple weeks ago. We talked about what is authority uh, and Jesus's authority and how we've been invited to partner with him and operate in authority. Last week, Pastor Paul was here. He talked about what it looks like to be a healing community, to bring each other to Jesus. Uh, sometimes when uh, we don't maybe have the ability to go on our own, we need a healing community that is walking in their authority uh, so that we can see God at work in our lives. And so we're going to now, for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of get into the nitty gritty of different ways we walk in our authority, different ways we see God at work in a healing community. And um, today we're going to talk about Jesus's authority over demons, Jesus's authority over demons. Now, um, I'll just share kind of candidly, I, as a pastor and, and teaching this, I kind of had to wrestle with some things in my, in my mind and in my heart about how to present this to you exactly, because some of you will be comfortable with the idea of uh, of evil spirits and the demonic and what that means. Uh, some of you uh, will be like, I don't even know if that happens today uh, or that just happens in other parts of the world. That's not really something that happens here. So I gotta be honest, I kind of wrestled a lot about like how, how to engage and how to frame this. Um, so I wanna say two things up front. One, um, this message is not going to answer all of your questions because there's only uh, so much we can kind of hit on a Sunday morning uh, or, or for those who are kind of like, I don't really understand like what, what this is about. Uh, Sunday morning's not gonna be able to cover all of this. So, so the other thing I wanna say is uh, in two weeks, not this uh, Wednesday, the following Wednesday, I believe it's May 10th. I'm sorry, I don't have the date in front of me. Uh, on that Wednesday, uh, I'm gonna be holding here uh, a very simple uh, workshop on, on what it looks like to walk in your authority on that Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Uh, so if you want to ask more questions or learn more in detail about what we're talking about today and what we're going to be talking about the next few Sundays. I want to encourage you to come out to that. We might make one or two other uh, nights like this available if it's something that uh, is helpful to people. But I just felt like we needed to create a little bit of a space outside of a Sunday morning to kind of answer some of the more detailed questions and, and give you a little more uh, explanation on some things. So I won't be covering every little bit of ground this morning that we could, but I, I want to hit kind of the, the main idea so you understand uh, what it looks like in the reality of uh, dealing with spiritual darkness, evil spirits, demons in the world today as followers of Jesus. What does that look like? So I, I want to give you kind of a, a just a picture a thought experiment maybe that'll maybe help explain a good way to think about dealing with the demonic 
in, uh, in our lives when, when that comes up. Um, imagine, how many of you ever lived in like New York City or, or any kind of more urban place? Someone who lived in New York City, a couple people have lived in New York City. Um, uh, I have some family that's lived in some, uh, my wife's side who grew, uh, lived in New York City, grew up in New York City, different places like that. And, and one of the things, I never uh, lived in New York City, but I know one of the things that kind of is the, whether this is true or not now, but stereotypical things is you kind of got to deal with whatever size apartment you can deal with, Right? You're going to make the most of uh, a small apartment, and it's going to cost you like $10 million, and it's going to be the size of a closet. And, 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 and you know, you're going to kind of like, you got to make the best of what space you have. You need to maximize that space, right? You can't afford to like not use some space in those little apartments. You need to use every little bit you possibly can. How many of you know that lived in the city? You're like, yeah, you got to like maximize your space. You get really creative. Things double and triple. It's like a table. It's a bed. It's an ironing board. It's, it just becomes everything. So, so you have this like kind of, you, you got to maximize this space. This is what you have. And you can't afford to let a, a, a room or something go unused. Now, another thing that can be prevalent in the city sometimes, cockroaches. How many of you love a good cockroach? Yeah, we were in a family vacation in January in the Caribbean, and I think it was my, uh, my brother and his wife and their daughter, their room, and they, like was a cockroach like running through the room, and they're like, uh-uh, we're out of here. Uh, thankfully, that wasn't most of our experiences, but uh, no one wants to deal with a cockroach. Now, the thing about a cockroach is they, they love to be in those dark places where they're left un, undisturbed, right? And as soon as you flick on like a light, they all scatter. I know, I just ruined some of your mornings. I'm sorry, talking about cockroaches. So I want you, I want you, Oh, man. Yeah. So listen, so imagine you are in this, your little apartment. Join, join me in this thought experiment. You've got this little apartment in New York City. Maybe you even lucked out. You have a separate bedroom in this apartment in New York City. But you know there's some cockroaches in that room. And so you've decided you're just going to leave the light off in that bedroom. And you're just going to use the rest of your house and just kind of make it work. I'll sleep on the couch I'm not dealing with that space. Now, how many of you like, you're crazy, right? I, I've got to get that space out. I've got to call an exterminator. I'm going to call the super. I've got to do something. Or you're going to be like, I'm finding a new apartment. But for, for whatever reason, imagine you decide uh, that you are just going to live in that little space. Or maybe your kitchen is the room and, and you're like, you know what? Forget it. I'll just set up like a hot plate in my living room and I'm going to eat top ramen noodles all the time. And, and we'll heat those up there and we'll call it a day. Now, this might sound bizarre and crazy and doesn't make sense, but, but it's a great picture, a great image actually for how we often live our own lives and, and the state of our own souls. Sometimes you and I have rooms in our lives that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to go there. Or if you're a fan of the show Friends, like when Monica shoves everything in that one closet, right? You're like, you can't go in there. It's like, how does she keep this apartment so clean all the time? It's because there's a closet where all the junk is stored. And sometimes in our lives, we have like a room that we don't like to turn the light on in. There's parts of our lives like, don't go there with me. That's too personal, or I've never talked about that to anyone, or it's too painful. I would just prefer to leave the light off and not utilize that space in my life. Now, if you imagine this in terms of an apartment, uh, you're really like hampered by 
that lack of space, right? It really kind of cramps your style a little bit. You have this great bedroom or this kitchen to utilize, and you're not utilizing it. You're not using the fullness of what you've been given in that apartment space. And in the, in the same way, when, when we leave parts of our lives in the dark, unexposed to the light of Jesus Christ, we, we leave ourselves living with less than the fullness that God has given us to live with. When there are things undealt with, whether it's uh, sin that we've committed, maybe it's unhealed brokenness because of things that have happened to us, uh, maybe there's offense we're carrying or bitterness or there's secrets or shame, whatever it is, those places where we don't open the closet door, we leave the light off, we stay out of that room because I, I don't want to deal with what's in there and no one else can go in there either. These places of darkness actually leave us as prisoners in our own homes. We become prisoners in our own lives. And we were just singing that song earlier about God used to set captives free back then. He's setting hearts free now. This is exactly what we're talking about. There's a darkness that sometimes we get stuck in because we're allowing spaces and things in our lives to remain untouched by the love and the light of Jesus. And, and in order to turn the light on, if you will, we have to bring these things that are unspoken, the secrets, the unconfessed sin. We need to bring those things in the light. We need to turn the light on. We need to turn the light on. Um, in, in just a moment, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. But this, there's the, the reason I want to bring this up is because of this idea of the, of the demonic, because these go hand in hand. Um, when you turn the light on in the light of life of your soul, there may be some critters there that have been feeding on the darkness, that they've been given access to a space that they should not be inhabiting. But when the light of Jesus comes into that space, they are exposed and they have to flee. And they have to flee. And this is exactly how I want you to think about uh, your authority and walking in the authority of Jesus when it comes to demonic activity. Uh, there are places in our lives that we sometimes leave in the darkness. And when there's space in your life and in my life that is left untouched, unchanged by the power of Jesus, his love and light, those places could become breeding grounds for the demonic. And, and that's how the enemy works. The Bible describes three enemies uh, that are trying to destroy you and I. The first, we have it on the screen here, is the world. This is the culture that we live in that is just very anti-Jesus. It is, it is constantly trying to pull you in a way that doesn't teach you to think like Jesus or live like Jesus. It's selfish in, in its ambition. It's focused on being greedy, all these different things. And that is combined with one of the other enemies, which is your flesh. This is just your own sinful nature, your own propensity, however different ones of us are wired to sin, to make mistakes, to walk away from God, to think we can do it in our own strength, our own power. And these first two enemies create these, uh, the opportunity for darkness to exist in our lives. And the third enemy is like the cockroaches that feed in that darkness. 
The third enemy that the scriptures describe is the devil. And then that becomes shorthand for the devil, for the demonic, demonic for the principalities and powers, uh, the spiritual beings that are evil, that are opposed to God and opposed to his people. Uh, like it or not, you and I don't have a choice in this matter, actually. You and I are engaged in a spiritual conflict. As much as it is physical in many ways, it is also unseen and spiritual. The scripture says that when Jesus bought you with his blood, you were transferred from, I use the scripture a lot, do you remember what it says? The kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. You and I do not really get a choice as human beings. We are going to live in someone's kingdom. It is either going to be the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And the reality is, is the devil and his minions are in this kingdom of darkness, holding us bondage and deceiving us to keep us from living in the light that God wants us to live in. So the devil and his minions, they're a real spiritual enemy. It doesn't like humanity. It wants to deceive and destroy every person on the planet. The Hebrew is where we get this word Satan from. It's actually not a name. It's a title. Ha-Satan is the Hebrew. It means the adversary. The Bible doesn't even like to name him. It just says he's the adversary. You have an adversary. Some of you, uh, Diana, you're a lawyer. I hate to pick on you. You have an adversary in court, right? This, is, this language is, this is court legal language. You have someone that is always pointing the finger at you, always blaming you, always your adversary. Jesus actually describes this enemy, the Satan, as the thief that comes to only steal and kill and destroy. There is no good, new, good reason why the enemy comes around your house. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the, the Bible actually in Revelation and Job and Zechariah, uh, the enemy is actually called the accuser of God's people. This adversary loves to just point fingers, to blame, to condemn you, to accuse you, has no interest in whether Jesus has saved you or freed you, and always just wants to remind you of your junk. And this is even implied in how Jesus calls us to pray. This is how we're to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Remember that line that says, deliver us from evil. And the actual grammar there literally describes, it's actually better translated, the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. The, the evil that we face, one of the enemies, the world, the flesh, that final enemy, the devil, is a real uh, personal, personal just meaning it, it is a being, it is a real spiritual being and spiritual beings that have no better thing to do than to ruin every human's life. Hope you're having a great Sunday morning. <laughs> and as I said, it's not just Satan. There are many spiritual beings, spiritual powers of darkness that are out to destroy you and I. And not just the church, by the way. People who are not Christians, it's like, sweet, we could destroy them too. Doesn't really matter. Ephesians describes beings that are principalities and powers in the unseen realm. And we see in the New Testament in the story we're going to read in a minute, it shows demons and evil spirits. They're all seeking to gain influence into human activity, either on a personal level or on a big, large, global scale. But here's the good news, and this is what we're going to see shortly as we read this. The good news is that even though we have this enemy, 
that is against us, that wants to feed on the darkness of our life. Jesus has come and he is the light of the world, the scripture says. He wants to light up every place that once was dark or hidden in your life. And not only does he want to light it up, he has the authority to dismiss any demonic power, any of those little cockroaches that have been given space to feed on the junk of your life and my life. And not only does Jesus have the authority to set you free from this and give you the fullness of life you were meant to have, he wants you and I to walk in this same authority, to turn on the lights in every room in our home, to help other people turn on the lights of their home, if you will, so that they can live in the fullness of what God has given them. So this is the good news that we are aiming at this morning, that we live in true freedom. So I want to read you Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and share one of these stories of Jesus walking in authority over demons. It says this, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles as he, as, uh, he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we say again that you are welcome here. 
And we, Jesus, just declare that we submit only to you this morning. We come under your name and under your authority. And, and Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what your word is speaking to us and teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is a wild story, isn't it? So bizarre, so bizarre. Such an interesting story, but I want to just pull out some principles that I think will be helpful for us around this idea of how do we walk in freedom and authority over the demonic? How do we let... How do we live in this space of freedom? So, so first, I want to come back to something I said before. There is a spiritual reality that the Bible always assumes is happening alongside our seen reality. I, I try and stay away from the term supernatural. I don't think it's super helpful. Uh, I think a better phrase to use is the seen world and the unseen world. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in the unseen realm. And I think that's a really helpful uh, language for us to use, is there's a seen reality, all y'all, and everything we're seeing here. And, uh, and uh, that's my, my uh, Alabama grandmother speaking there. And, um, and an unseen reality that are kind of existing in the same space. And in the story we just read, like a lot of other stories in the Bible, we see uh, spiritual stuff happening that is influencing the seen world. Unseen things happening, seen realities. And there's a ton of stories we could talk about another time where, where there's a spiritual reality that is keeping something from happening in the seen world. Uh, read Daniel 9 and 10 sometime. There's a really interesting story there about this happening um, in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see so many examples of, of Jesus in particular dealing with demons. And these unseen spirits are causing very real seen realities. Uh, like the example we have here is suddenly this man has superhuman strength to break chains. Now, he didn't just spend a lot of time at the gym and, and the demons are using his strength that he already has. I don't know how many, uh, how long you'd have to spend at the gym to be able to rip chains like that in half. Um, but there's, there is a real spiritual power that is, that is manifesting in this particular way with this man that's, that's causing this to happen. And, and this is the reality of how um, uh, demonic powers want to influence and, and I'll use the term a few times today, uh, manifest and, and show themselves in different ways. So with this man in particular, he had this crazy strength. And it wasn't like Samson's strength that was coming from God. This was coming from some other spiritual being. But it also was tormenting him, as you can clearly see. He was living among tombs. He was running around naked. He probably wasn't taking good care of himself. He was, getting, he was cutting himself with the rocks and different things like that. There was real uh, evil that would, had no interest in, in this man's well-being. Um, just a few other examples I could, I could give you um, that kind of run a spectrum of different ways this can even manifest. Uh, someone sometimes, and I've, I've seen this happen with different people who, who are dealing with the demonic, someone uh, doesn't just feel angry. Sometimes they, they actually have this, this level they go to with just straight rage. And, and I've had it happen where someone like has this rage and there's almost like this weird like icky feeling about the rage. Like it's, this isn't just someone's really angry about something. There's something more going on here. It's a, a sense in which uh, our human stuff gets supercharged in some uh, sense. 
And you have to use discernment to kind of get a sense of what that is. Uh, other examples is um, sometimes when a person has a, a history of a habitual sexual sin or, or they have had things happen to them, uh, sometimes there are uh, dreams that will come to them that are tormenting them. They'll have horrific nightmares and different things like that. And there's a demonic influence happening in people's lives in that way. Sometimes it's a really simple thing. It seems kind of innocuous. You had some kind of emotional wounding uh, in your lifetime. It, I'm not even talking about anything complicated. It could be as simple as, uh, you know, you didn't really feel like you belonged or fit in or you had your friends. Like uh, I had a particular example like in middle school where I had a friend really kind of cut me off in a, a weird way. And, and that combined with some other things in my life, I began to believe this lie that I didn't belong and, I, and no one really wanted me around. But, but the, 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 what, the reality of what had happened was one thing, and there was some hurt from that and some wounding. But actually what happened was the enemy liked to come into that moment and get me to believe a lie that I'm unwanted. And then when you start believing lies like that, that manifests in different ways. Well, I'm going to stay away from community, or I'm not going to get vulnerable with people because I'm not wanted. And, and it, the enemy uses these things to destroy the quality of our life, to destroy our well-being, to keep us from Christian community, to keep us from the real truth and the fullness of life. So it could be really extreme uh, ways that there's manifestation, like chains being ripped apart, or it could be really subtle, like believing these lies from the enemy. There's no uh, one-size-fits-all uh, in, in this way. And historically, understanding that these, any kind of demonic influence, if there is any uh, in someone's life, historically, the church has always understood that this needs to be dealt with in, in the discipleship process. So going back to the early church, in preparation for someone's baptism, uh, they would actually go through a, a season in which they would confess their sins, they would uh, get healing for the, the trauma that had happened in their life in whatever way they could do in that time. Uh, they they would go through deliverance and get uh, delivered of any demonic influence in their life, and, uh, and then they would go through the waters of baptism after that. Uh, and uh, that could be a good thing for the church to get back to, I think. It could be really helpful. Um, so I just want you to understand that this is something that is not just in the scriptures, but throughout the early church history in particular, uh, well through into the Middle Ages. This was assumed that we have to deal with the spiritual unseen realities that influence us in, in a physical way because it can influence um, so many different things. And we'll, we'll get back to that in, in a minute. In, in our physical reality in, in so many ways. Um, but just to answer a couple basic questions, we're not going to do too deep of a dive for the sake of time, um, but just what are demons? Uh, what is, uh, I, I want to answer a question about uh, the term that's usually used, demon possession, uh, and, and um, talk about uh, how, how do they end up there. Uh, and, and so just briefly, um, so there was this man here, right? It says that he has uh, an evil spirit, and these evil spirits, they are disembodied spiritual beings. They're created by God. They've rebelled against God, and, and their goal is to get influence in humans and bring destruction. And that key word that I want you to understand is influence or access. 
Okay, and that leads to the second, the second thing here. The word that tends to get used with this is possession, like demon-possessed. And if you've seen like any like movie, like The Exorcist or something, this is, like, this is the stuff that gets used a lot, is that kind of language. Um, but the problem is, is that language is really unhelpful and doesn't actually get at what the, the scriptures say in the original language. Uh, you'll notice like even in the, the text I read, this is where this is a bad translation here. Um, no, transla- no translation's perfect, honestly, so you got to take what you can do with it. But it says, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. If you actually look at the Greek, it doesn't say that. It says, a man who had an unclean spirit. Now, I think there's a difference between having something and being possessed by something. Like, I'm not possessed by a cold, I have a cold, right? And, and, and the point that I want to bring up with this is possession often describes ownership, but a more appropriate word here would be demonized, uh, and that would get more. They had a demon. Uh, they had an unclean spirit. Those are used interchangeably, demon and unclean spirit. And the reason I think that's important is, especially for us as Christians, is we are not owned, because possession implies ownership. We are not owned by demons. We are owned by Jesus. You have been purchased and bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are following. You have already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. But the reality is, is often we're leaving lights off in some of the rooms of our home and not using them. And, and that space can be given over and access can be given to the demonic in, in that space. That's why I've been using this term influence or access. Now, Jesus differentiates between you and I and, and the spirit. Even in this, we don't have time to get into the technical grammar in the Greek in this passage, but it's very clear when Jesus is talking to the spirit and when he's talking to the man. They're not the same thing. The scriptures even say this. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against each other as people. There are unseen powers, spiritual beings. That is where our battle lies, the scriptures say. Now, how did they get there? How did they get there? This goes back to the idea of influence and access. That's the goal for demons. They want to look for hidden places in our lives, places of unconfessed sin, places of secrets. They're looking for, if I could put it in this way, they're trying to feed on the garbage of life. And, and when they find that, they're going to hang out there and, and camp. And now you're saying, well, I didn't give them permission to be there. If we are not giving Jesus explicit permission and submitting our our unconfessed sin and bringing that under his forgiveness and bringing those things into the light, we are by definition giving permission to someone else to come in and influence those spaces. And this is the thing I want to come back to. We do not get a choice. We don't get to opt out of the spiritual conflict. And so you can go through your life ignorant to it, blind to it, kind of pretending it's not there, or you can take Jesus' invitation to understand it, and you can start to walk and learn how to walk in authority over it. And this brings us to something that's said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 27 to 29. Uh, Paul's using anger as an example, and he's not talking about feeling angry. He's talking about a deep-seated like rage. I'm holding on to anger against someone here. And he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's not talking about don't go to bed angry if you feel angry at your spouse. Sometimes the best thing to do is to be quiet and go to sleep. You'll feel better in the morning, and you can have the same conversation about it. 
What he's talking about here, as I said, is, is a deep-seated uh, a sense of rage or anger that, that goes beyond just feeling angry. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's like, if not, you may give the devil a foothold. Now, what he's describing there is this Greek word topos, which means ground. And what he's saying is, is if you are going to live in, he's using anger as an example. If you're going to live in this sin, this unforgiveness, this bitterness, you are creating ground in your life where you can give access, a foothold, ground to the enemy to begin to influence your life. That's what he's talking about. Don't go to sleep bitter. Don't go to sleep. Now, sometimes you're just going to feel angry, but you know you just feel angry, and it's just an emotional thing, and you need to go to sleep, and you're going to be able to process that way better in the morning. But sometimes there is a deep-seated bitterness. There's a sin issue in your life that's undealt with. There are rooms in our house that we leave the light off on. That's what we're talking about when we talk about ground. And we can give access to the enemy to begin to take ground in our life and the cockroaches come into those spaces because the lights are off, no one's bothering them. So that's where, where we are. This is the reality of, of the spiritual evil that exists in the world and wants to work against you and I. We all good so far? Yeah. All right. So here's the good news, though. As I said at the beginning, Jesus has authority over every demon, every spiritual power. If the scriptures say that Jesus has been seated high on a throne above every principality and power. He's been seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's been given a name far above every other name. Those are not just nice uh, things for us to put into worship songs. What, when the Apostle Paul is writing those words in Philippians and Ephesians and other places, he's describing a spiritual reality in which Jesus' authority trumps any other authority. And so... This is why this, this whole idea is so important. Jesus comes into this space. He comes into this space, and there's a man running at him that has many demons. This is important to understand, too. Jesus always in the Gospels has a reactive ministry to demonization. He never goes demon hunting. He never goes and tries to find a demon under every bush. If something manifests, he deals with it. If it doesn't, not time yet. That's really important to remember because I think sometimes people get really zealous after they hear something like this and they're like, everyone that kind of like they don't agree with in their family or at their workplace, they're like, they probably have a demon. I need to go, I need to go deal with it. Now, now you should pray, take authority over your workplace, but, but you know, maybe don't go trying to like cast a demon out from under every bush. Um, but that's, my, that's the point is, um, now there's probably far more manifestations happening than you realize. I also want to say that because it's not obvious like, wow, my coworker just snapped those chains. Like that's probably a demon. It could be that. Um, but like I mentioned before, things like rage, believing lies in your own life, that's a sign that something is manifesting there and getting influence on a low level that you have authority to deal with. So he has a reactive ministry uh, to, to demons. Jesus is never nervous about demons. I think that's good news for us. He's like, okay, I'm gonna deal with it if it, re if it like shows up. That's good news for us. You don't have to be afraid that if you're not seeing it, 
you're, you're in trouble. Pray, ask Jesus to give you eyes to see things in your own life and in others' life, but you don't have to go chasing it. Trust that God is in control. Now, the other thing I want you to notice about Jesus' authority here and how seriously he takes his authority and how confident he is that he really is in charge is, is this. Uh, the, the demons beg Jesus for permission to go somewhere else. They're like, all right, well, he's not gonna let us stay in this man. Please just don't send us out to some isolated region. Why? Because there's no people there for them to try and influence and control. Now, we don't know why Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs. Uh, that goes back to what my friend Rob says, theology 101, God's smart and he knows stuff we don't. So, so I don't know why. I don't know why. I haven't learned this. Uh, but, but I think that the point for us to understand here is they were begging for permission and they could not do anything unless Jesus gave them permission. Now, I go back to when we talked about authority a couple weeks ago, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, land this in just a minute, because you're like, what does this have to do with my life? Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how important it is to understand, uh, understand the difference between authority and power, right? The traffic cop in New York City, there's a car or a truck speeding towards them. What's more powerful, that truck or that man standing there or woman standing there in the middle of the intersection? The truck is, right? That truck's speeding towards them. The truck is speeding towards them, way more powerful than that traffic officer there. And all that traffic officer has to do is this. And that truck's gonna stop. Why? That badge of authority. This badge that that traffic officer wears represents the, all the weight and authority and legal right of the city of New York, of the town of West Milford, whatever the jurisdiction is. And anywhere that police officer goes in their jurisdiction, they can put their hand up like this and traffic is going to stop. Now, if you or I just walk out into a crosswalk in the middle of New York City and put our hand up, we're in trouble. <laughs> no one's going to stop for you. No one's stopping in New York City for you. Yeah, yeah, the yellow taxi is going to stop because they want your money. Um, so, so this is my point. This is why it's so important to understand. You and I live in somewhere in an authority system. Jesus gives authority. He has all authority and he gives authority. The Old Testament's full of examples of the prophets saying, you only have a right to rule because God gave you the right to rule. God gives authority, and those who are willing to submit and live under his authority are allowed to operate with his authority. This is why Jesus did this so perfectly. He perfectly submitted to the Father in every single way, even obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says, for this reason, he's been given the place that's high above any other name. He's been given more authority than anyone else because he had perfect obedience. And so the question of do you and I walk in the same authority Jesus does comes down to this. Are you and I turning all the lights on in our home? I.e., are we giving, are we submitting to Jesus and his authority in every area of our lives? Now, I'm just going to get real pastor, pastory here for a minute. Do I harp on a lot about dealing with the hidden things in your life? That's a theme, I'd say, that's fair to say. Here, this, exactly what we're talking about today is why this is so important. One of the reasons why. 
It's important for you because you just get to live in the fullness and the goodness of God, period. But here's why. There is authority that you and I are called to walk in. And if you've got rooms in your life, if you've got closets full of stuff that are undealt with, unconfessed, uh, un, unreconciled, unhealed, you are compromised on the battlefield of our spiritual warfare. You see, if you go into a space and you're like, oh, well, you know, I have authority over this. And they go, ha ha, you're not under authority. I'm not listening to you. This is what happens in the book of Acts. These 12, uh, seven sons of Sceva, these, these Jewish guys are, are going around. They see Paul casting out these demons and all these other Christians casting out demons. And they go, hey, you have to get out of this man because of uh, the Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon responds and says, oh yeah, we know Paul and we know Jesus. We have no idea who you are. And then the man that was possessed or excuse me, demonized go, went off and attacked him and like scared them off and they ran away. You see, you can't just use the words. You have to be submitted under the authority that you want to use. Now, I I don't say this lightly. I think I've shared before. Like, I've ruthlessly gone after the areas in my life that were hidden in darkness. Because if I don't, my authority's compromised. I have no right to stand up here and tell you anything out of the scriptures. It's the same with you, though. I'm not on some pedestal. I know I'm on a podium right now, but I'm not, on some, I'm not on some pedestal. You and I are all, according to the scriptures, priests before God. You and I are, are saints. The, the literal translation there is holy ones. You know what Paul says about you and I? You are seated with Christ. You know how seated, Christ is seated on the, the highest throne and he's the authority above every, Everything. You know who else is seated there? You. He says, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means if he's sitting on the throne that's higher than every other authority and power, guess who's also there? Now, you can walk in that, but you have to live in that. And so I just want to give you very quickly... Just three steps here to identify. How do you walk in this authority? How do you walk in this authority? First, you need to confess sin. Confess your sin. And and I say this uh, not because you need to confess this to someone else, another Christian. And and this is why I say in detail. I say in detail uh, because the enemy loves to be vague. God is specific. I know some of you are like, whoo, in detail, what? Here's why this is important. The enemy loves to just say general things about how you're a terrible failure. That's condemnation. That's shame. That's just accusing you and blaming you. There's no empowerment, not trying to get you out of that place. That's not God. So if you feel worn down by like, I just, I mess up. I'm just a screw up. I can't follow Jesus. I keep failing. And there's not a specific thing that's being called out. That's the enemy. When there's a specific thing that's like, hey, This needs to change. Confess this. Shift into this. Bring this into accountability with someone else. That's God wanting to empower you to change. He's like, I'm telling you this because I love you and I want you to grow and I want you to live in freedom. The enemy is just vague. So it's important, excuse me, to confess sin in detail because of that reason to another person. And then you ask for and receive forgiveness. If you confess sin, your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. 
He's not going to hold it back. He never holds it back. Some of you have come and, and confessed sin. And, and man, I, I noticed a change in you when you did that. I, I've, I've seen some of you come and say, hey, we just want to put this all out there. I need to put this all out there. Or like, I'm finally ready to deal with this. I need to get scraped down to the bottom of the barrel of everything. I need my account current. And I've seen a change in you because you've been rocked by the forgiveness of God. We also need to expose secrets. Maybe you didn't commit a sin, but there's something in your family or something that's, that's plaguing you or, or affecting you. We're only as sick as the secrets we keep. Some of us are, are in the way, hey, I've never told anyone, but those kinds of things. We also need to get healing when we've been offended. We need to renounce also any benefit we've received from living in that sin and brokenness. Let me just give you a classic example. Sometimes this is a physical healing, but sometimes people love the attention that comes when they are physically ill and they don't actually want healing because they love the attention they get. And you have to actually confess and reject the benefit you've been getting from that in order to receive the healing God wants to give you sometimes. So that's, that's all part of it in different ways. Confess your sin. Just be vulnerable. Now, not everyone, I say this too sometimes, not everyone should know everything. That's like open share. You don't do that. But some people need to know everything. You need to have some people in your life that know everything. Not scatter, I'll tell this person this part because they'll be able to handle that. This person can tell, I can tell this part. You need, some people might only be able to handle parts of your story and parts of your confession, but there needs to be people that know everything. Second, after you confess your sin, you need to submit to Jesus. This is where the authority comes in. You cannot walk in authority if you're not living under authority. Receive his forgiveness and his cleansing Choose to follow his commands, reject the way you were walking, and walk in the new direction. Con commit to live by his teaching, by his commands, and continually live a life of confession. And then the final step here is resisting the evil one. Some of you might recognize you've been believing lies. You need to confess that you've been agreeing with those lies. And it's going to be really as easy as, as that. Like the scriptures say, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ Jesus. You might just simply say, I'm recognizing that I've had this thing of I don't belong. I believe I don't belong. No one wants me. What do I need to replace that with? No, God says I'm one of his chosen children. He says that I belong to him. He even went out of his way to adopt me. I do belong to him. I, I belong to his, this people, the church, because of what he's done. And so I reject that lie. I'm not going to live in that anymore. Some, some of us, if there's demonic influence that's more extreme, doesn't even have to be to that chain-breaking level, uh, but something that's more uh, serious, maybe there's, it, the, there's a demonic thing that's causing habitual sin or some, it's plaguing you with nightmares or different things like that might be going on. You might need someone to walk through deliverance with you on your behalf. A lot of times when it, when it gets a little more, there's a little more influence, we need a little more help. So do not think you can just, oh, I'll just do this all myself. We need community for a reason. And this is part of it. God wants us to be able to humble ourselves and let other people into the process to walk us into freedom. So this, these three, confess, confess your sin, confess the stuff of your life, submit to Jesus and resist the evil one. This is the basics of how we begin to walk in authority over the demonic. And I, I just wanna uh, leave you with, with this. 
you know, there's a number of stories I could share, but I just think of two real, real quickly. I, a, a friend, um, had a friend who his young son was, uh, was having nightmares. A lot of little kids have nightmares. Sometimes it's just nightmares. Sometimes that, that age is an age where the enemy is just trying to attack little kids. And, and so his friend was telling me his young son was having nightmares, and I was talking to him about this, walking in authority. He went to our, he's a Christian, he went to our church, and, and uh, he, I just talking to him, hey, take authority over, over your son's room. Say, this isn't allowed in our house. This is, there's no assignment or, or plan of the enemy to, to attack my son. Can't happen. Because my family is, is owned and we belong to Jesus. We've been per- bought by his blood. So he just starts praying different things. And there's no magic words with this. He's just declaring the truth and reminding any spiritual influence that it has no right to be there. And, and you know what? His son stopped having nightmares that very day. I, to my knowledge, he's never had them since. He's never had them since. I haven't checked in a little bit, but he's never had them. If it's a spiritual issue and you walk in authority, you see results. You'll see results in the natural world, in the seen world, if you deal with a spiritual issue that's actually there. One other, just very, very briefly, uh, there was a woman who, um, they, they had uh, lost a, a child who had taken their own life uh, in our church. It was a really tragic story. And um, several months later, uh, she started to have terrible, terrible nightmares and um, it, it was getting really bad. And, and she just thought she was crazy. She didn't really have a framework for uh, demonic activity or deliverance or anything like that. And just one Sunday after church, we're just sitting there talking for a minute. She begins to describe what's happening. And I just asked her, do you, do you think this could be a spiritual, a spiritual issue? And, and she's like, like a demon or something? And I was like, it could be. And, like, let's find out. And so we just prayed and, and um, spent a little time listening and, and we recognize that there was this spirit of death who was trying to torment her, uh, bringing these images of her child back to her. And, and it was the spirit of death that we kicked out in authority. And, and she had recognized she, she, she had this unhealthy uh, attachment to her, her child who had passed away. Not a healthy grieving, but, a, but something that was a little more than that. And she recognized that she needed a different kind of dependence on God in Jesus in that time. And so she renounced that, that access that she'd given. And, and she was accepting and receiving Jesus and this thing was gone. She stopped having the nightmares and they were all done. They didn't come back at all. Friends, I want to ask you as we close here today, are, are there places in your life that have darkness in them? Are, are, there, are there places, are there rooms that you've left untouched because you didn't know how to handle it? You just don't know. Or you're ashamed or you're like, I, I should know how to handle this or I'm embarrassed by this or I don't know what to do. Listen, I want to encourage you, shame, the whole goal of shame is to just keep you far away from getting the freedom you need. But I want to encourage you today, do not leave freedom on the table. You and I were created to have full access to every space in your soul. You were created to live in total freedom over every space God has given you. So please do not leave freedom on the table. Jesus has the authority to not only forgive your sins and heal brokenness, but also to evict any evil spirit that has been feeding on that darkness. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And, uh, and we're going to take just a minute as we close and take communion. 
I want to invite you to just stand real quick with me. How are we doing? This is a lot. This is heavy. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Two things. One, listen to the podcasts from the last couple weeks. If you need just to kind of go through, it's a, it's a lot of information. I want you to do that. But if you've got the space, I would really encourage you to come out on Wednesday, May 10th. So we can process this a little more together in a much more informal setting, more conversational. Practice walking in our authority ask questions, because this is something, I remember the first time I was exposed to this. The first time I recognized that Jesus had authority, we, I was in a, a training on, on deliverance, and, and uh, we were supposed to pray for this one gentleman who started to, to manifest, um, just very like, he was just starting to like growl a little bit. I don't know how to explain it other than that. And, and it was just a, it was a physical manifestation of something spiritual unseen that was happening. And what, what was incredible to me, and I hope this is encouraging to you, every time we said the name Jesus, when, 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 the, when this evil spirit was manifesting, the person, the, the person would go like that and like flinch every time we said the name Jesus. Now we're being really gentle with the person that we're ministering to, but, but it taught me something in that moment, just how much authority Jesus has and how we have nothing to worry about or be afraid of when it comes to walking in our authority. Is there a learning curve? Absolutely. There's a ton to learn. But I want, it, it, watching this unfold and seeing people since then get free and literally seeing their discipleship and their following of Jesus was flatlined, recognizing there was a spiritual issue like this, and it changed, and just watching the trajectory of their life go in a totally new way. Man, I don't want any of us, I don't want any of our neighbors, I don't want anyone living with spaces in, in the apartment of their soul that are unlivable. There's so much freedom to walk in. There's so much freedom to walk in, and I want us as a church to walk in that. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.